0: Spoiler alert, it's Geek Top 5!
1: Yay!
0: And I'm seriously thinking of working that into the, the start of every time we do this show, because you know what? Spoilers, get over it. <laughs> I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there are five cool things we want to talk to you about, about what's happening in the world of Geeks. Number five, I mean, which I want to make the joke that it's also four, three, two, and one, but this is there somebody wants to make a multiple man movie. And now I needed a refresher. To see, what, who the heck was multiple man? And it turns out he was in X-Men 3. Somehow he just... Well, because I don't remember X-Men 3 very fondly. For good reason. But does
1: anybody remember Multiple Man? Besides you, I mean. In the best possible terms, he's an X-Men side character. Let's take a step back and just talk about what this movie might be before we get into (laughs) who who the character is. Sure. So the the Fox people own the the X-Men rights. And ever since Deadpool, they seem to have... Uh, taken the hint from that movie that you don't need to necessi- necessarily make straightforward superhero movies for them to be successful. So Deadpool is a, a rip-roaring, R-rated comedy dressed in a superhero costume. New Mutants, we saw the trailer for that. That looks like a, a horror movie with only the faintest <laughs> hints <laughs> so, of superhero activity. And so what's this one going to be? Well, I mean, th- all we know so far is that James Franco is attached to to play the lead in it. James Franco is—I uh, don't know what you'd call him. He's, he's an actor. He's a director. He's an artist. He's—he does. He writes poetry. He does. He does all sorts. So of he's stuff. one of those leftist hippie weirdos. <laughs> he's a renaissance saying. man. All right, that's fair. So he's got a movie coming out called *The Disaster Artist* that he uh, directed and stars in, and it's about the making of the world's worst movie, yeah, *The Room* with the Room, Tommy Wiseau—an and yeah. actual movie—and he's playing Tommy Wiseau in it. And at the same time, he's also starring in an HBO TV series where he plays twin brothers in the 70s who are somehow involved in the porn industry. It's like he likes challenges. He likes diverse roles. He's not happy unless he's doing something that's at least a little weird. Okay, Multiple Man is a character that was created in Giant Size Fantastic Four, number four of all things. He's a mutant character who anytime he gets hit, he creates a a dupe a a duplicate of himself that he at least in the early days he would basically control them with his mind they would do whatever he wanted and then he would reabsorb them
0: right which is what we see in the x-men movie like the line is like he robbed seven banks
1: at the same time what what, yeah it's uh crazy my so he was created by len ween chris claremont who are the writers and he was originally drawn by john buscema and he sort of languished in the background ever ...from that first appearance until he was sort of forced into Peter David's hand as one of the early characters of X-Factor. Uh, he didn't really want the character, but once he had him, he realized what an interesting guy this could be. Like, creating duplicates of himself who aren't necessarily exactly the same.
0: Right. This is one of the things I saw. Is At some point, I guess pretty early on, the duplicates gained, like, full agency. So, if he makes a duplicate, like that's its own person with its own feelings and hopes and dreams. And it seems like half of the arcs that he deals with are like, who's the original, and, like, this duplicate has gone bad and framed him, or this duplicate just wants to live a regular life, or... Right. It's like, all the different crazy things. So you can picture James Franco talking to James Franco's, like, a house full of all, James yeah, Franco's. all
1: slightly different. I mean, one of the things that made this character bankable like this was a story arc that, uh, that Peter David wrote where it was Jamie Madrix, uh, the multiple man, as a, a private eye. Oh, superhero noir movie. Exactly. That's kind of cool. One of the quirks of that storyline is that he had sent out a bunch of duplicates and given them sort of assignments, things to do, things to learn. And they all went off and did other things, and then he reabsorbed them. And once he reabsorbed them, he gained those memories. So he knew what they had done. So there was a... There was a storyline where he went out and tried to reabsorb a bunch of them who had sort of gone rogue. And one of them had become a priest and had become like a full-on, 100% believing priest and had this great life. And he decided just to leave him. And that became a character who he would come back to Hmm. for like moral support and things like that throughout the series. It's just a great run. Really interesting stuff. It makes for this really interesting starting point that an actor I'm sure would love to just bite into and and eat up and and
0: especially treat. a weird actor. Yeah. So we're definitely going to see that weirdness it's and sort awesome. of a reverse Doctor Who where if the character is ever doing anything they don't like, you can just like you still have James Franco but he's playing a different one. Yeah. So convenient from a writing perspective. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing what James Franco and James Franco and James Franco and James Franco, and James Franco do with that. There, I got it. I had to do one. All right, what's next? Number four. Oh, man, number four. Yes. Okay. Universal's (laughs) Illumination Entertainment. This is the studio that makes Despicable Me and the Minions. You know the Minions. Yeah. Yeah. They are right. apparently just on
1: the edge of cutting a deal with Nintendo to make an animated Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, for a long time, uh, whenever anyone brought up the Mario Brothers movie, you would plug your ears and insist it never happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, uh,
1: excepting
0: the Pokemon franchise, there has been no movie, film, any of that kind of stuff since 1993's disastrous Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, With Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, and Dennis Hopper.
1: Yeah, the kind of cast that appeals to children.
0: Yeah, it has to be one of the worst movies of all time, independent of the fact that it tried to adopt the Super Mario Bros. franchise. Didn't go well. So Nintendo has been super protective of their intellectual properties since then. But things, have been, things are changing at Nintendo lately. They're starting to make iPhone games. It's pretty crazy, something they don't control. We're starting to see more toys out there. Looks like they want to try to hit the big screen again. So, talks are still ongoing. It seems like part of the issue is that, as expected, Nintendo wants to hold on to a lot of creative control which isn't always a movie studio's, you know, they're not always that into that. Right. Um, but they're saying, like, at the very least, there's a lot of sick people saying that Shigeru Miyamoto, like this is Mr. Nintendo, that this, you know, the Stan Lee of Nintendo, <laughs> it, is, they want him on, involved to be a producer on the movie, which I think is great.
1: So yeah. has he been involved in every Mario game?
0: Every Mario game, every Zelda game, Star Fox, like all these characters come from him essentially personally. Hmm. I mean, I I don't make that comparison lightly. He is the Stan Lee of that company.
1: He seems like a very nice man.
0: Yeah, he he seems like someone who's doing what he does because he loves his job. And if you're going to take a beloved franchise, you know, there was that survey way back then. More kids in the States, like I saw in North America, more kids recognize Super Mario than they recognize Mickey Mouse. Hmm. Like, it's a big deal. People know Super Mario. If you're going to take that big risk and try to adapt it into a movie, that's the guy I want on board. Now,
1: allow me to play devil's advocate for a moment. All right. The Mario games with the exception of perhaps Mario RPG have never been story games.
0: I would I'll, I would argue there are some exceptions like the Mario like Mario RPG games led into those Mario like Paper Mario games and stuff. But right. I know what you mean. When you think Super Mario, the default place you go is run from left to right jump over things, hit things, beat Koopa at the end eight yeah. times, rescue the princess.
1: Yeah, uh, Damsel in Distress. Like, I don't see, uh, from the main games anyway, I don't see a storyline to be adapted that I'm going to be excited to see on the big screen. Well, and this is the thing, again, it's important to remember, like, this,
0: the studio is doing, they, they did minions, essentially. Yeah. I don't know how many people are going to Minions for the story. They're going for the zany, cartoony antics. And that's what I think suits this world perfectly. I've mentioned it on the show before. Go to YouTube and search for the Mario Power Tennis intro. It's a six-minute cutscene that opens the Mario Tennis game. I think this one's the one for GameCube. And it tells a short story. just tells this little adventure With these animated characters, and it's very Warner Brothers-esque. There's a lot of, like, comic racing back and forth across the screen. People
1: getting bonked on the head. Yeah.
0: I've mentioned, you know, you should watch it before, but I know you didn't. Especially you, Ethan. (laughs) I hope there's somebody named Ethan who listens to the podcast and just pooped himself.
1: Uh, But really, if
0: you go watch this, I feel like it's a really good example of just crazy things you can do with these characters. And there are a lot of them. We've talked about how Nintendo is kind of the Disney of video games. They have this huge ensemble cast... Mario's world has encompassed so it's like Mario, Luigi, Wario and Waluigi but there's also Donkey Kong and Diddy are in there. You've got you know, all the princesses now. You've got Peach and Rosalina and Daisy. You've got Yoshi and all the Toads, all the weird characters Shy Guy, the Koopa Kids Like They've got all these characters who have, st- like, as the games have developed have started to show really distinct personalities. There's a great way to adapt that into a movie. Is it going to be Lord of the Rings? No. It's going to be a zany cartoon for kids, but
1: I think it has the potential to be delightful. Uh, Another area of concern, at least for me, as a a bit of an outsider to the Mario franchise at this point, but Mario is uh, one of the features he's best known for is his high-pitched Italian stereotype voice. Is that
0: an Italian stereotype
1: or let's-a-go? Like yeah. throwing A's on the end of everything? Uh, I guess. Yeah. I,
0: I'm still thinking like Bob Hoskins was still doing it when they talked about Mario being from Brooklyn, right? Right. So.
1: But do you think they would change his voice or do you think they would just have him not talk much? Or I mean, Mario comes across as a silent protagonist, but yeah, he has all that woohoo's.
0: Yeah. That's all done by a man named Charles Martinet. Uh, who does most of the voices of those characters. Like, if if Shigeru Miyamoto is the Stan Lee, he's the Mel Blanc of that world. I can't
1: imagine why they wouldn't just bring him in to do it. It's the same guy who's been doing it I mean, the reason would be, uh, and this is, since it's a podcast, I can't just rub my fingers together, but cha-ching, they, they want big names to draw people, so they're going to get someone like, ah. Uh, but yeah, exactly, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to get, like, Tom Holland to voice Mario? Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. I think you'd have to get someone, that maybe a Robert Downey Jr. Right, right, okay. Yeah. yeah uh, get Chris Pratt to do Luigi. <laughs> uh, Seth Rogen can be Wario. Oh, (laughs) jeez. I
0: imagine that's why Nintendo is still really possessive of that, you know, that they want that creative control. You don't like, think stoner uh, Wario is a good idea? Uh, you know, like an Owen Wilson
1: Wario? You sure. La- laid-back Wario. <laughs> no,
0: I think that all those characters have a very well-established identity through what you see in the way these games are presented, and I imagine they're going to fight very hard to keep that on the screen. And I think that works, because it has that minimalist thing to it. Nobody's having a long conversation between these characters. It's mm-hmm. a lot of single words, or just expressions, or grunts. I think it has a potential to be very cool. In any case, let's move on. Um, To the opposite of that sort of production, Uh, Fox and Hulu have teamed up to make a television series based on Hitman. Okay, so refresh our memory. What is the Hitman video game franchise about? All right, the Hitman video franchise, debuting with Hitman Codename 47 in the year 2000. If you didn't play the games, you at least remember there were a couple of movies. Um, There was one in
1: 2007, which was fairly successful, and another one in 2015, which was not... I mean, if the 2007 one was properly successful, it wouldn't have taken seven years to get a sequel. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't Timothy bust Oliphant, uh, Olga Kurylenko, uh, nudity, violence—all the things you'd want. in uh, a very paint-by-numbers yes, kind of
0: movies. Yes. Um, the games are a series from IO Interactive. Um, so the Hitman games are obviously you play the role of a hitman. Um, they were—they function kind of like a puzzle game. The idea being is you'll set up a scenario and say, how do I get in and take out the target and get out? And how do I do it with causing as little trouble as possible? And it's a very non-linear approach. So you think of it as a puzzle where the puzzle pieces are all, so there's these guards here, and this guy's shift changes here, and if I take this outfit, I can blend in here, and I can, maybe I can get to the kitchen and poison the food, or maybe I can, like, the whole idea is to challenge the player to look at this puzzle of an environment and figure out how to take out the target and leave again. It's actually a pretty successful video game franchise. It's a lot yeah. of fun to play.
1: It's got a little bit of mythology. To this, that's where it lost me a little bit. Like I really liked the first game, and subsequent games sort of lost me as the mythology got more and more convoluted. And I was not interested in any of it. I just wanted to do the individual assassination missions. Yeah, I didn't need a big, deep backstory.
0: And I think the games understand that you don't like you don't have to remember who everybody is. Right. It's still a case of go here and kill this dude. Um, but if you want to follow it, there's a whole thing. It's very spy movie cliche. There's you know different like shadowy organizations fighting each other, and then it goes and then it goes into the whole thing. Like in the first game, you find out that you were actually cloned to be the perfect assassin, and like all the targets you've been going after have all been connected to this sinister project. You uncover the truth of your own past, but then you're betrayed because nobody in that world can trust each other. And I, I mean, we've seen very this at all. Yeah, there's nothing original here, but it was done very well, and it was a lot of fun.
1: They tried to make it those movies, it didn't quite work out. Well, I mean, the best parts of at least the first game <clears throat> were the references to movies that were built into it. There was, in The Godfather, there's a scene where Al Pacino goes to the bathroom, gets a gun, kills these guys. You would literally do that mission, and... Absolutely. You know, if you tried to do that in a movie, Francis Ford Coppola and an army of lawyers would be at your front door the next day. So they have to take a copy of a copy and make it as generic as possible to avoid lawsuits.
0: Yeah, that same game also had Scarface in it. Yeah. It was the entire, yeah, it was, it was definitely some of the you know, fun movie moments recreated <laughs> in there. It's evolved into its own thing since then, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not doing anything original. Which seems like it would make it the perfect movie for people like Fox. <laughs> but what can you do? In any case, they've decided to try and make it a television show. Um, and they've got a script written by the guy who writes John Wick. Which is Which, a good fit. right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe too good a fit. Yeah, it's almost like you'd be writing the exact same story. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I liked John Wick. There's nothing wrong with that. Very little, you know, like, there's some
1: mythology there. There's world building, but it's not the focus. Even more so in the second one. Yeah, okay. But uh, where, what I think uh, they'd be successful in doing is if they tried to emulate a show called Burn Notice... Which was a great show about a spy who is burned and is, like, fired from being a, a spy. And he's trapped in Miami. And every... He's trying to figure out why that happened. He doesn't know. But every episode, he helps someone in Miami and and does, like... It's very episodic, but there's an overarching plot line. So if you do that, that works so well as a TV series. Just
0: instead of helping people, he's killing people.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then you learn a little bit about the main storyline in every episode. But you can also enjoy each episode episode on its own merits which isn't something you can say about a lot of tv these days very true same thing with the games work like have a cool puzzle in this
0: case it's you know like how is Hitman gonna get over this challenge and he finds a creative and interesting way to kill some gangster or criminal or what have you and along the way
1: learns a little bit about himself yeah i'd watch that yeah and then you know in a big season finale that something bigger happens and it resets everything for season two and you just carry on that way for like 50 years. See, why don't we work at these oh, places? We could. They, they're
0: missing out. I could give them a script by tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would be fantastic. That might be one to keep an eye on, though. And it's, it's always a little heartwarming for me to see you know, a video game success story when a video game can breach into the real world.
1: Doesn't happen often. It doesn't,
0: that. so fingers crossed. Number two on the list, not a video game success story. Ah, the loot box war has been going on for a while now.
1: Okay, so before we get into the nitty-gritty of it, just refresh our memory as to how loot boxes work.
0: Yeah, so, loot boxes refer to the way microtransactions are handled in video games these days. Most folks who use your your phones for gaming are probably familiar with this, but they're also hitting the bigger titles nowadays. The ones from Blizzard, like Overwatch, have this kind of thing going. Um, And most recently, which we'll circle back to, the new Star Wars game, Battlefront Two, has it. The idea being that... You can get stuff in the game to help you progress. By playing the game, you earn some kind of in-game currency that you spend essentially on a slot machine. Um, An important distinction we've talked about on the show before, you're always guaranteed to get something back. You might not just lose your investment. It might not be the best thing, though. Um, So I play a Final Fantasy game on my phone, where every time I beat a mission, I get, like, a I think it's Mithril. So I get a, you know, a token Right And then once I get 50 tokens I put it in this machine And a bunch of stuff comes out for my characters And if I'm lucky One of it's like a really powerful sword Or a really good piece of armor But it's random and that's the key. You're not and guaranteed to get anything. There are the, the
1: chances of getting things uh, very great. It's not like it, you have an even chance oh, of getting anything. Oh, no, any. no. Like I said, slot <laughs> machine.
0: Every time you pull that handle a slot machine, you don't have as good a chance to get a jackpot as you're getting two cherries. Right. Uh, do they even have cherries anymore? I don't know. I'm not a <laughs> gambling man. Batman, you know. Yeah, whatever it branded is. branded these days. The key is that you need that stuff to progress through the game. Like You're not going to be able to do it without it. And because you have to collect that reward, it tends to be very slow. But they'll give you the option to pay real money to get whoop, instant rewards, instant 50 mithril. And you can spend you know, just a few dollars and get some mithril, or spend $100. And what people are finding is that like, they're releasing these free games, but people are spending hundreds of dollars for these rewards. Because, like a casino, it, like the whole system is designed to incentivize you to buy this stuff and get these rewards and the lights and the colors and the, the happy music and wow, look how cool thing I got. Now, that's starting to show up in full price games. Lucas, well, not Lucas, LucasArts has licensed, yeah, has licensed their exclusive video game rights to a company called Electronic Arts, a video game publisher with a terrible reputation, almost a monopoly. Almost a monopoly. They own almost everything. Um, they've won. Th- they've won worst company in America, which is, I mean, a voting thing. Which is the worst company in America. They've won it three times. Um, the two of them were consecutively. They have a reputation for burning out studios, for destroying like what the equivalent of an indie flicks, like right. destroying interesting ideas and making real paint by the numbers games. They work their employees to death. Bad rep, but they're very rich and powerful, so they have the exclusive license to make Star Wars games now and. They already have an antagonistic relationship with the fan base, but then they released Star Wars Battlefront 2. I've talked about the, the previous episode where the game it has those microtransactions in it, and the rewards drastically affect gameplay, which is a huge problem because it's player versus player. It's a competition. So you could be flying your X Wing, and the other guy's flying a TIE fighter, but maybe in his last loot crate, he got a more powerful laser gun. He beat you. Well, fine. He got that loot crate, you said. But what if he's just richer than I am, and what if he just spent an extra hundred bucks and got all the cool special lasers? So, fan complaints came out about how it unbalances the game. It's essentially the more money you spend on this game, the more likely you are to win. Then the game got released in its early trials, and the entire game is motivated around this profit system, these microtransactions. So... Let's say you're playing a Star Wars game. Uh, how excited are you to play a Stormtrooper? Uh, like, on
1: a scale of 1 to 100, probably 5. Right.
0: How excited are you to play Darth Vader? Oh, 100. Yeah, you can't play Darth Vader. Darth Vader's locked. Why? Why Why did I buy, pay $90 on this game if Good. I can't be Darth Vader? But well, you can be Darth Vader. You just have to pay for him in in-game currency. Can I just save up money and buy him immediately? You can start playing the game uh-huh. and start to earn that in-game currency... To buy what you need to get stuff from the loot crates that gives you rewards that you can save
1: up to buy Darth Vader. That sounds very simple and not complicated in any way whatsoever. And it's not easy. So
0: this this came out as people started playing. They said, so an average match in this game of like the big mode, like the largest player base, is about 12 minutes. You make about 275 credits in a 12-minute match. The initial price for these characters, for Luke and Vader, for instance, was 60000 If you do the math, it will take approximately 40 hours of playing the game, for zero, to unlock one of those cool characters to play as. Which is, who's playing this game for 40 hours? But, oh, you can buy that in-game currency with real money. Plus, you're not guaranteed to get that, because you're not buying the character. You're buying the chance to pull a slot machine to get some rewards that might help you unlock that character. These are all guesstimates. So, outrage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the last minute, Electronic Arts said, Okay, we're, not gonna, we're pulling the transactions temporarily until we figure out how to do this better. But it's already received a lot of outrage, and it's getting a lot of media attention, and it's starting to get into politics. Um, the first one was actually in Belgium. The Belgian Gaming Commission has looked into this, and they've come to the conclusion that this constitutes gambling, because you're spending real money, and you're not guaranteed to get anything back. They've also noticed that this game is rated T for Teen, which is generally like 12 and up. Right. Which means it's promoting gambling to minors.
1: Uh, yeah, which, you know, is kind of obvious when you think of it. It's like Star Wars is is you know as much as adults and whatnot enjoy it it is a kids product like it's for children and and to have this there where it's like you can get this or get mom's credit card and bring up you know hundreds of dollars and and there's a chance you could get the character you want you want to be boba fett well just get that credit card just get that
0: credit card It's estimated you could spend about two thousand one hundred dollars, plus the eighty dollar price tag on the game U.S. dollar. That should get you just about everything. Yeah, which is I think it's two thousand seven hundred something Canadian. So that's happening in Belgium, and the nation's minister of justice has like is essentially taking it to the EU. They want to ban this kind of thing in video games. And if you say sure, that's Europe. It's happening in the states as well. Hawaiian representatives Chris Lee and Sean Quinlan held a news conference, named Battlefront Two specifically, and, accused and EA. And EA, accused it of preying on children, and saying that like this is designed the same way it's meant to lure people into gambling traps, and it's designed to affect children. This should be illegal. He also said, and I'm, I have like props, and <laughs> he also said, quote. It's a trap. Wow. Well, which... He, he, yeah, how can you resist? How can you resist? It is Star Wars. So, fan outrage has peaked. Everyone's mad at EA. Sales of their brand new Star Wars game are, I think, at 60% of what the last one was. Wow. There are rumors that the decision to pull those microtransactions at the last minute happened shortly after a phone call from the CEO of Disney, who everyone can imagine probably said, what the hell are you doing to our brand? Yeah. Also of note that that exclusive deal for EA to make Star Wars games, they've only made one Star Wars game in, that like, three years. They've canceled one, Visceral's Star Wars game, the cool underworld one they're going to make. Battlefront 1 had a mixed reception, and this one is a PR disaster. So EA is not looking so good. The future of gaming is looking like it's going to change, maybe actually in a good way if they ditch these microtransactions. I'd be very happy. But it's a very
1: interesting time for everyone. I I feel like this is the groundwork for a future deep dive, because I feel like we are barely scratching the surface of uh, this conversation. There's a lot more to talk
0: about, and we do have to move on. But suffice to say, it's a very interesting time in gaming. Please pay attention to it, and if you're thinking of buying the new Star Wars game for anyone for the holidays, maybe take a look at how much you're actually going to be spending. Let's move on, though. I can't think of an appropriate segue. Like, speaking of things I want to shoot, or, like, thinking of... (laughs) Uh, EA needs to be punished. There you go. That's a good one. And who better to do it than Netflix's The Punisher? Um, I guess technically a spinoff of their Daredevil television series.
1: Yeah, it's part of the Netflix Marvel franchise. Yep.
0: So 13 episodes, game for the first season, became available uh, on the 17th with John Bernthal as The Punisher. I feel so glad we get to talk about something that's actually out instead of, you know, this is crystal ball business we right. usually do. We both started
1: watching The Punisher. Unfortunately, neither of us mm-hmm. have, have completed it yet, but we're, we'll give you our initial impressions mm-hmm. at least. And to be fair, it's getting pretty mixed
0: reviews. Um, it, critically, it's all over the place. Some people seem to love it. Some people seem to hate it. It seems like it's doing okay with fan favorites, but certainly it's a really modern, really, I feel like, faithful take. On that comic book character.
1: Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the character. Uh, he's he's a guy with guns who takes the law into his own hands. He started out as a villain, and he's he was very popular in the late 80s, early 90s. At one point, he had three monthly titles, which very few solo comic book characters have ever had. Like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman are probably the only ones you can really count on to be able to carry that many monthly titles. Yeah, Punisher did it for a while, and... He really fit into that grim, gritty, leather jacket, b- badass, tough guy appeal of that era. But he's incredibly shallow, you know? There's not much to him other than he's a damaged guy who kills other bad guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, they found ways to expand on that in this Um, And part of, I think, something that's affecting the reviews is, of course, that it's a very touchy subject to release in this day and age. Like, the initial release of the show was delayed because of a mass shooting in the States, um, which unfortunately is becoming more and more common part of the news cycle over there. So having a guy killing a bunch of people with guns didn't seem like the best time. But I do feel like, in a way, the show is sort of trying to address those issues. A lot of it is spent... Like, looking at him as someone who came back from war, damaged. And yeah. A lot of these characters are, like, damaged veterans. And it's examining, like, what happens to people who are put in that situation.
1: PTSD is front and center in this series. And, you know, I had a lunchtime, like, pretty much the whole lunchtime conversation with a, a coworker about whether Frank Castle, the Punisher, is a, a good guy on this show or not. Like, to me, I watch it, and, and he's the main character, and on a certain level, I'm rooting for him. But generally, he is a bad man, you know? he There's he just, flashbacks where he's abusive to his own kids. He's violent. He has a hair-trigger temper. He's, he's a bad person who does bad things for
0: a sympathetic reason. Yeah. And I went into this expecting, like, oh, another revenge fantasy. How original. They actually do it pretty well. Like we get, we understand this. Like his family was murdered, and now he's out to uh, out for revenge. And maybe as a consequence, to make the world a better place, because he only kills bad people. That tends to be really heavy-handed. Like I thought it was re like really heavy-handed in John Wick, um, in Taken. Like yeah you know. right.
1: I mean, part of those movies is there's like a fantasy element to it. Of like he's the the gunplay and stuff is so unrealistic, and the the consequences of the violence are so. Uh, uh, yeah, we're detached from yeah, it because it's, it's silly
0: almost. Yeah, yeah. in this one, it's just like they sort of back off and of that we know he's damaged and we know he's hurting and he takes it out on people. And the show spends a lot of time saying like, this guy is screwed up. Mm-hmm. So is he the hero? I mean, he's the protagonist, but maybe not a hero, which sort of suits the character
1: because that's kind of who he is in the comics too. He's not a great guy. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I have really been enjoying uh, in it so far is his relationship with Micro, who I, I, because in the comic book his character's name is Microchip, I have to call Microchip because that's his that's, proper name. That's why I'm calling him. That's fine. <laughs> but he he's very different. The character in the show is very different from the Microchip character in the, uh, in the movies. I think at one point he was played by Newman from Seinfeld, which is a much more... Accurate physical comparison to the character in the comics. This guy is completely different and and much more. I don't know, much more relatable. I guess I, he's, he's less of he's a like... he's less of a caricature. He, yeah. he sort of has his own
0: thing going on. He's. I mean, whereas if Frank Castle is like the jock, he's the nerd. Mm -hmm. um but despite being a nerd he still has a similar story to the punisher and that like he he's got kind of a questionable choices in his past that led to some bad things and what he's doing as much as it's make the world a better place really he's out for revenge too Uh, which is what ties these two characters together
1: and once they get together they have this weird chemistry that's almost like an old married couple, like they bicker and, and needle each other, but they also are still watching each other's backs. And But then sometimes
0: like, like bickering, like, like Abbott and Costello bicker, things between them get tense. Mm-hmm. Like in the first few episodes, again, spoilers, just get over it. In the, in the first couple of episodes where he goes to Micro's family who think that Micro is dead and the Punisher is there, and we know that he's sort of doing that to apply pressure to Micro.
1: Yeah, Micro's like, got these hidden cameras so he's watching this interaction yeah, between, happen
0: between his family who thinks he's dead and the Punisher. We're not like we're not certain that the Punisher isn't going to hurt these innocent people. And the way that it's shot and the way that it's put together is to make us tense about that. Like this this lunatic is with this normal family that kind of sort of trusts him and everything seems on the up and up but we think at any moment he might be hurting this woman or these kids. Like we don't think like, we know he's not there for a good reason and micro like we keep cutting back to him he's freaking
1: out yeah and it happens more than once and he's still not getting comfortable with it like even it, when they are on the same side frank goes back and micro's watching and and even though generally he thinks that they're friendly now he still is on pins and needles yeah, because watching
0: this. this guy is just unstable yeah like anything could set him off and so in a way it's a very hard watch But I think it's done really well, and I really admire the skill of the acting. I really admire how it's written. I was very impressed. And I
1: mean, John Bernthal is the fourth person to play a live-action Frank Castle after Dolph Lundgren in 1989, (laughs) Thomas Jane in 2004, and Ray Stevenson in 2008, in these various movies. But it feels like this was a role he was born to play. He is so good as this character. It wipes out any memory of those other guys. Not that that was difficult, since those movies yeah. all pretty much sucked. But he is pitch perfect at this character and being unstable but still somewhat sympathetic. Now, where I think the, the weak spot on the show is the 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 B plot is these cops who are I who are terrible. Yeah, well, it, that- it really feels like an over the top like like someone watched The Shield and then decide to do no further research and just do a bad version of those types of characters. Yeah,
0: and they're trying really hard to develop these characters. Like, the first episode, they seem so out of place. Like, everybody in the first episode of The Punisher is exactly who they are, except for these two, who are people who are very excited to be playing police officers on television. (laughs) And it's, it's just, it's so clear that they don't fit in. But, I mean, they just needed more characters to make this work, I guess. They needed some form of contrast to the Punisher they put this in. And I think that's a shame.
1: I mean, but I think that is a symptom of a problem, a larger problem with these Netflix Marvel shows is, you know, 13 episodes doesn't sound like a lot, but somehow it's been hard for them to fill those 13 episodes and make them all good. They do feel very long. Yeah. Each
0: episode seems to take a long time. I feel like they could be snappier.
1: I mean, you could if you cut it down to 6 episodes, maybe 8 episodes, pull the cop characters out of it and just make it a tight thing with with Frank and uh Ben Barnes's character of Billy Russo and uh and Microchip, you it would be a tighter show, a more interesting show and you wouldn't have these scenes. Like whenever whenever Frank Castle isn't on screen, you're sort of like waiting for him to show up
0: yeah and nothing in the show moves without him right like all the other characters are just waiting for him to do something so why have them yeah yeah in any case we're low on time but the point being it's critically it's mixed but if you're into like tense drama and a fair amount of violence like geek top five we don't generally do reviews but we're both really enjoying this it might be worth a look i know iron fist let some people down
1: at luke cage yeah. So that got a little boring. <laughs> Jessica Jones had its saggy parts.
0: But I feel like this one, I think they got something here. Yeah. That was our top five in the news for this week. Uh, we'll be right back with our uh, special guest segment. Our
1: very special guest.
0: One of the specialist guests that Graham's ever invited onto the show. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the second half of Geek Top Five. This week our special guest is May. Kind of. Kind of. Also <laughs> <laughs> Also, we have Kylie back. And Welcome back, back, Kylie. Back again. You wanna give your bona fides? Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about your your interests and yourself and your expertise. I mean it's not Tinder.
2: <laughs> no, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, it's got deep. Your so, I was like, I like Long Watch because on the beach. I like, you know. Uh, no, um, I'm very excited to talk about this. I love all things comics, so.
1: All right. So the, what we're talking about this week is the top five comic book runs that Brian Michael Bendis did in his time at Marvel Comics. May it rest in peace. Essentially. Essentially. As we
0: discussed in the previous episode, now that he's a DC man for life... Wow. <laughs>
1: Exclusive for
0: now. <laughs> Exclusive. Yeah, right. Exclusive for now. Yeah. He'd be very
1: successful in video games.
2: <laughs> 17 years long is a good run. It's
1: an incredible run. It's a great run. So, and I've been reading his stuff since he, he joined Marvel. So I was, I've was i been there since day one with Bendis and Marvel. Well,
2: see, I'm new. I'm new to it. I've only, I started with um, Guards of the Galaxy. Yeah. And then I went into um, All New X Men. And then um, I did the Jessica Jones stuff. But like, I'm so new to it, and like, because I started DC. I was always more DC in reading that. Um, and so when I got into him, he was the first like Marvel that I read.
0: Okay. And I sometimes read comic books. There you go. <laughs> so we have a varied panel. Exactly.
1: All right, well, let's jump right into it. What's our number five? Number five is his Daredevil run. Now, this will be a controversial pick, because a lot of people would say his Daredevil run is the best of the best when it comes to Bendis and Marvel. Daredevil is an interesting character because he, unlike a character like Spider-Man or, or the X-Men or, you know, Captain America, they, they have a certain steady level of interest. And that interest is consistent no matter who's working on it. Sometimes if the right people are on it, it'll go even higher, but usually there's a steady baseline. With Daredevil, he is, if, if there isn't a star creator on that book, the sales just plummet, and he's, like, all struggling to survive. So you got your huge peaks, like Frank Miller. He made that character right. relevant. He made the character interesting. Then it dipped for years. Like, there were other people on there. I could name names of people who wrote it, but no one really looks at those stories as touchstones for the character. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas
0: what I've been reading is that Bendis's run on Daredevil has been compared. Like, that's how they say, this is as good as when Frank Miller was doing it. Exactly. Right. And it's... So- it's great. Frank, uh, go ahead. And... Yeah, I was going to say, so let's make sure we're all on the same page. So this is 2001, right? Like, he starts an arc, I think, in May, and then on issue 26 in December of 2001, that's when him and Alex Maleev's big thing starts. Yeah. And that's what we're
1: talking about is that arc.
2: Did it come after Kevin Smith? Yeah. It came after Kevin Smith. So like, right Kevin... after?
1: Uh, no, there was okay. uh so I think Kevin Smith's run was the first twelve issues of that of series that. Okay. and then he bent just really his he had a, a co writing arc before this, but then there was like a six issue gap. So right. it's it's he's his run really starts with issue twenty six and it's it takes a real gritty look at the world. It's, it's, it's got cops and uh, gangsters and it is all about the underworld and the kingpin and the crime angle and the superhero angle takes a bit of a backseat.
0: Right, so it's less about Ultron attacking the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right,
1: right. yeah. <laughs> okay. More about this, the crime that's happening while you're distracted by that, you know, this more more petty, behind-the-scenes right. crime. Because, right. you know, Daredevil's a lawyer by trade in the day, so he's coming at it from both angles. And it's a great run, it really spoke to Bendis' strengths before he got into the Marvel comics. It was a lot of crime books. Is is the best known before this for Salmon Twitch, which was a spinoff of of Spawn. Right. So it was like two cops dealing with Spawn esque hell villains, but they were cops, and that's really what he he was known for at the time. So there's snappy dialogue, you know, fill pages with word balloons of people talking to each other, uh, in and just great banter and, and interactive. The reason it's so low on the list for me, the the final note for that storyline his final daredevil story was called daredevil end of days and it was sort of like a what if where uh the first issue daredevil is killed by um by bullseye and he says mapone it's this real citizen kane-esque thing and ben yurik hears about this word and he has decides to figure out what daredevil's last word meant just to, the reason for that word it, the whole thing was so disappointing, it tainted my opinion of the entire run.
2: Interesting. Oh,
1: it was the worst. That one thing. The, the, well, well, like... The one
0: miniseries. Yeah. Well, let's try, Let's actually talk about the run that okay. you actually liked. So sure. Th- th- so this is the arc where Daredevil is unmasked. Where
1: one of the many times he's unmasked, well, yeah. but go on. Everybody knows
0: who he is, and they turn against him, and he ends up... Sort of declaring himself the new Kingpin, right? Yeah. He, so there's sort of a role reversal there.
1: There's The the Kingpin becomes a really interesting character in this. There's a great dynamic with him where he is taken out early in the run by this, this upstart gangster. And then Daredevil beats the crap out of Kingpin in front of everyone and declares himself the official new Kingpin. And that yes. everything needs to go through him now. And then the other superheroes are like, yo, Daredevil, we think this is a crazy idea. What's up with you? And he's like, I hate you guys. You know that you don't understand me. And he he's like a teenager, and he goes and hides from his friends. But it's a really good arc. I'm not selling it very well. I was gonna say it doesn't sound very good, <laughs>
2: but meanwhile, I'm like, I kind of want to read that. It's a really
1: good uh, run, and it it introduces. I mean, the TV series that we that was just on Netflix that we have all seen, uh, Defenders yeah. with uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, Daredevil, and Iron Fist. There's like an early grouping of those characters in this arc. At one point, Daredevil turns to his friends for help, and it's Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Spider-Man, which, as much as I love Jessica Jones, that would have been an even crazier TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, But it's it was a great team-up. He had the banter between them, and it was one of an early example of how he reinvigorated Luke Cage, which we'll get into right. later. Next on the list, number four, is Alias. So this is the series that Jessica Jones was created for and uh, was, unfortunately, the title of the comic, very similar to uh, a yeah, TV t- series. T- t- yeah, alias. Yes, I know, I, know. When I When you put on list, I went, wait
2: a minute. And I like, <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh, no, what? And then I started reading I was like, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so
0: he wrote Alias starring his new character, Jessica Jones, and then J.J. Abrams made Alias the TV show, which has nothing to do with <laughs> this Alias, and then we got Jessica Jones the TV show, which is the TV show of Alias the comic book, which is not alias the television show. Exactly. Yes. Is that clear? Got it. Everybody no. else. <laughs> so this is twenty-eight issues from two thousand one to two thousand four, um, and he like this is all Bendis, right? Like this is his character. This is his thing. Yeah. This is
1: he. I'm sure would insist that we uh, include Michael Gatos, who was the artist who co-created the character with him. But yeah, it was a character that he pitched the idea and uh, there's like some swearing and stuff in his, his pitch. And the president of Marvel was like, well, we don't really have a place to put a book with nudity and swearing and things like that. But on the other hand, why don't we have a place for that? So he created this new line called Max, which wasn't for kids. It's all rated. It's you know yeah. dark and gritty, and it's got all the swears you can throw <laughs> a brick at. But, you know, Alias was the only really great thing to come out of it. There was also a Luke Cage series and a Nick Fury series, but they didn't, I think, War Machine. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you have mm-hmm. no idea what any of those are. So this was really, Marvel's always had a bit of a hard time doing mature books
2: grittier yeah well like
1: dc has always had a, a bit, like with the dark knight returns and year one they've been able to take their superhero characters and make them more adult and interesting in a way that marvel hasn't quite been able to other than this series so that's jessica jones in a nutshell it's like a gritty dark look at the marvel universe from someone who isn't quite a superhero
0: and is it fairly similar to what we saw on the Netflix show?
2: Well, so I I watched the show, love the show. When I started reading the comics, it's pretty like not word for word, obviously, but like a lot of what is happening in it is very similar and very resonant. Like it resonates the same way that the show plays it. Um, like I like I started reading it, and it's like literally like the first within the first little bit, she's with Luke Cage. They've got the whole bar situation going on. You know, that's how they're in the bar together, and then they're you know they have their romance, but like. It's still very much the detective side of it as well. Like, she's in her office. People are coming to her with different sort of cases. She's following them. They lead her to the Purple Man. Like, it's, like, quite similar. Like, I really felt the tone was very similar.
1: Yeah, I would say the only place where it differs is that they have access to more superheroes than the show can. Correct. So, like, there's an Ant-Man thing. uh, Captain America. Captain America. Rick Jones, who's uh, the professional Marvel sidekick. Uh, <laughs> and
2: Captain Marvel's her best friend instead yeah. of um, is it Wildcat?
0: Uh, Hellcat. Hellcat.
2: Hellcat. Patsy and, Walker.
0: And sorry, this, And which? And this is always a very confusing question for me. Which Captain Marvel is it?
2: Or is it Miss Marvel at that time? I think she's Captain Marvel at that time. Or she was Warbird time. but yeah, it's Carol, oh, okay. yes, it Carol Danvers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. sorry, yeah. So it's okay.
1: not Billy Batson, and it's, it's not Marvel. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. It's Carol Danvers. Yes. Uh,
2: but I found that interesting because obviously they had the movie coming of Captain Marvel, so like, it's clear that that's why the TV show, they changed it. Yeah, I'm and assuming. there's
1: never going to be a Hellcat movie, so they yeah, were safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there's even that,
2: But yeah, and it's, a, it's the same sort of relationship too, of like, in terms of uh, she feels like, you know, Jessica Jones isn't really around, only needs her when she asks, like, for something, like, it's very similar in that, so I, I don't know, I loved it when I was reading the yeah. comics, I loved it. And it's very, like, gritty and dark, which I liked. I liked that there was literally a scene where she's sitting on the toilet and talking about, like, the whole thing no, but I think it's, but it's just like it's very just like that's what would happen like yeah. it's just what's happening like it's like it's very like it's
1: not titillating yeah. like a, some comic book art can be it's just like this, this is, is a lady it. who this is, is a real life. lady yeah. yeah she's not made like gorgeous like yeah. all these superhero ladies tend to be but she's got this very interesting character arc. and over the 28 issues so much is revealed about her and you know Purple Man before David Tennant played him on this show, he was he was a joke villain from Daredevil. Like he his name is the Purple Man. He's he looks his skin is purple. There's there's it's hard to take a character like that seriously. But he had a very when you think about it. Crazy power, where he could make people do anything by talking to them, by his the sound of his voice. He could make them do anything, and so they took that and did stuff with it that you can only do in an R-rated max comic book. And it it's it was so incredible to read. And there's just like this uh, amazing comic book. And and it's it's again Bendis's biggest strengths, which are the the grounded sort of gritty characters, but adds in the superhero aspect in a way that makes them more grounded too.
2: Yeah, I really I really liked it. I really liked that uh that she like the super I think the superpower was second to it. Like you said it's more dark, gritty, that's the storyline. Yes, it's more her investigations and that stuff than it is like, oh, she's got super strength or, you know, that sort of stuff. So I kind of like that. And I really liked what they did with like you said bringing in the superheroes though, like Captain America, like the whole first like three, I think it was like one of the first three issues. that Her whole thing is that she is asked to follow someone. She follows him, ends up catching Captain America changing into his outfit, and now she knows his secret identity. And she's got it on tape, and now she's got this tape. And she's like, "Do I? What do I do with this tape?" Right? Like it's just it's kind of mm. a cool. It's, so a, it's
0: a lot more about who she is and her character yeah. than the power. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Nice to see that.
1: Now, this is one of the things that I, I don't know if if Bendis gets enough credit for because. Uh, It's hard post, you know, 1980s even, post-70s in a lot of ways, to introduce new comic books characters in Marvel and DC and have them stick. You know, the exceptions would be some of the DC characters or their legacy characters, and that's partly because they're just taking on the identities of established characters. It's hard to make a brand new character and have them become enmeshed in the continuity of the thing. Jessica Jones is integral to the Marvel universe now. She's been on the Avengers, she's married to Luke Cage, she's had multiple series other people have written her other than Bendis. She's a big part of the the universe and Bendis is able to do that better than just about anyone, I find. He's great at it and I he it'll be interesting to see what he can do when he's over at uh at DC in that regard. So, number 3, speaking of the Avengers, He did one of the longest extended runs on the Avengers comic book that any writer has done. He was on it in one form or another from 2004 to at least 2012, depending on what you define the end of his run. Because he's done some little things here and there afterwards. But he, in that run, he worked on Avengers. He worked on New Avengers. He created Mighty Avengers. He created Avengers Assemble, Dark Avengers... He did the crossover events Secret of Invasion, House of M, Siege, Avengers vs. X Men. He's. It he was the backbone of the Marvel yeah. comic book universe for almost a decade. Yeah, I had some
0: trouble putting together my notes for this because he was basically behind every major de- story development for every major Marvel character for a decade. Yeah. Which makes it very hard to narrow down into a short segment on a podcast. We but <laughs> And it's amazing
1: that this is number three on the list. Yeah. Well, put it that way, then, why is it number three? Like, what about it sort of lets you down? So, uh, it's a great run, and there's a lot of great stuff in it. But at a certain point, it just became event after event after event, and the... The valleys between the peaks got m- less and less interesting, and it felt more like they were just biding their time till something else. Like I remember reading, you know, Storm was gonna become an Avenger, and like I remember her popping up in an issue or two, and they're like, "Oh, you're an Avenger now!" But so much else was going on. It was like, why did they bother? She had nothing to do with the stories. She came and went without ever making an impact on the team, and it's like they added her just for the announcement and by the end of the series i it had lost some of what made it interesting and and that's a risk you you take when you're on a book for that long eventually you're going to peter out a little bit i guess but he had a really great run and the the beginning of it is as controversial as anything he's done at least within of the avenger fan community from basically the 60s to the 2000s, the Avengers were, as much as they were Earth's mightiest heroes and within the comics, they were the biggest team in the universe outside of the comic books or like in the real world, the Avengers were always kind of second fiddle to the X-Men or to the Fantastic Four or to Spider-Man, you know? Even the team, the makeup of the team was mostly also Rands. you know? The biggest stars of the, the Marvel comic universe are Spider-Man, Wolverine, characters like that who were basically forbidden from being a part of the Avengers for for decades. He, in his first run, blew up the first four issues of his run. He blew up Avengers Mansion, killed a bunch of Avengers, and disbanded the team. Then he brings them back together for new Avengers, and it's, it's some of the people you expect with the Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, but he adds Luke Cage, he adds Spider-Man, he adds Wolverine, and it takes off, it makes them so much more fan-friendly. You know, I don't know that I would ever have read, really collected, an Avengers book without those types of characters on there to really draw me in, and, and it, it took off. And to me, this was a great turning point for a lot of older Avengers fan. This was sacrilege, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. This was She Hulk literally ripped Vision in half. <laughs> There was uh, Hawkeye had one of the stupider deaths in comic <laughs> history when he got jet-packed into the engine of a Kree warship. And, <laughs> <laughs> okay. and then uh, Scarlet Witch turned out to be the person behind all this chaos, and she was now crazy and a villain. So any Avengers fan who was a fan of any of those characters, this was like a slap in the face to them. But to me, it was like... Welcome aboard! Right, right. Here's a crazy intro.
2: So that's the first time the new Avengers showed up. Right? Is that yeah? Yeah. So that's like the first, and then they had like Miss Marvel too, right? I believe it's some. Maybe it's like a later version, but it's, which Miss Marvel again? Are we talking <laughs> Cheryl,
1: uh, Carol, uh, Carol Danvers. Lambers, yeah. Okay. So she's she'd been around since the '80s, and she'd been on and off the team. Oh,
2: she was on and off the team at that point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay.
1: Uh, sure. She was eventually. I mean, his cast. It's hard to nail down, and he's. Uh, too many specifics, but Wolverine was almost always there. Spider-Man, Spider-Man was, was always almost there. there. Yeah, I
2: remember reading... I remember I remember. Gra- I grabbed one from the library and I, and I took a read of it and I was like, this is an interesting mix of a team. Yeah. Like, it, and like it was like New Avengers and I was like, oh, thinking like, oh, I'll read an Avengers story. And then I was like, oh, this is different. And I, I liked like, it. Was, it was really neat and different team, right? Like yeah. Wolverine and Spider-Man and I was like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and as things went on, he was able to add new wrinkles. Like after Civil War, the team split in two there was the pro registration side and the the anti registration side so it was like luke cage and all these ground level heroes who didn't want to have to work for shield versus a team of like iron man and wonder man and characters like that who were happy to work for shield and so there were two avengers teams who were all good guys but had conflicting agendas and it was just very interesting to read from that perspective there were sort of mirror images of each other but it's a great run very long excellent Next on the list, number two, and this is probably higher than a lot of other people would have it on their list, but I'm a diehard X-Men fan in my heart of hearts. So, when he... I'd I'd only become interested in the Avengers because of him, and then when he said he was jumping on board X-Men, that was almost a big shock to me as when he was jumping ship from Marvel and going to DC. I was super excited to see him uh, see what he would do on X Men. I was really disappointed he was, only did it for three years, but the which sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, of my, monthly issues, that's like thirty six yeah. issues. But he got a lot done in that time, and he reinvigorated that title. This was a great starting point, and there was a huge twist in the first story arc where the Beast. Was upset with how things were going, and so he went back in time and brought the original five X-Men to the present. Yeah, I didn't know if he wanted to
0: get into that. That this is called the all-new X-Men, and it's about <laughs> the original X-Men. I thought that was a little weird. Is that just me? Well,
2: see, this is the first. This is the first, and it's going to hurt your heart. But this is the first time I had read any. X Men comics. So that, for me, to me, I that liked doesn't it. hurt my
1: heart. That invigorates yeah. my heart. Anything that brings people on board, <laughs> is, I'm cool with. But I, I just think I would choose a different title. <laughs> yeah, but, I get that.
0: I mean, but I don't want to. I don't want to have the whole podcast revolving around that. <laughs> but it's so it's he goes a, back in time. He brings the original X Men to the present, which is their future because everything's gone crazy. Cyclops is evil. Jean's uh, dead. Yeah. yeah, but I mean. It's a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started. There's nothing wrong. Gene hasn't died that much, but Uh, go on. Yeah. He he was only on it for three years, but this is still going, right? Like, we still have those X-Men characters from the past are still coexisting with their present-day future selves. In most cases, yeah. Yeah,
2: and they've crossed over with Guardians of the Galaxy. I've read some of those. Um, Yeah, I I think it's still going a bit.
1: I mean they they aren't together anymore like they're they've diverged onto other yeah. teams and they've so so that's another thing that Bendis is great at he introduces these concepts and and some people might bookend their run by by sending those characters back in time but the work that was done on most of those characters has made them more interesting and and different from the older versions of the characters so they're now their own unique individuals and they can thrive in the universe at the same time as the older versions. I mean, the biggest example of that is Iceman.
2: Oh, yeah. Iceman's story was great.
1: Yeah, so Iceman is younger, and uh, uh, Jean Grey is another character he did a lot of interesting stuff with, but she sort of arguably violates him by reading in his mind that he is is secretly gay and, and didn't necessarily realize it himself. And that's why I think we talked about it on the show, but he that now because he's younger when he finds this out, he can embrace it more readily than his older version, who has had relationships with women and has been arguably in denial for however many years you want to say he's been alive. So it creates these two distinct identities for what is arguably one character.:
0: And I don't Now, know. now cynically, you could also say that it gives him an opportunity to not have to like, follow everything else that's already been written. He sort of cleared the board for himself. <laughs> he's to write the characters his own way, damn it. Which he's certainly allowed, and it's not like time travel is a bizarre concept in the X Men universe, right? But it could be seen as a little bit cynical. Like people have been writing
1: these characters for a long yeah. time and building up these stories. I I would argue though that the way it was used, it was they were able to give fresh eyes to what has happened in the world. Like imagine you know, like the the characters have gone through this journey where. Over the course of 40 years, so many characters have died. So many events have happened. But it's spread out over a long time for us as readers. But if you were to take someone from the 60s and bring them to the present and tell them all these things that have happened to the X-Men, it's mind-blowing. You know, it's, uh, I've described stuff to Jesse before, and he just rolls his eyes. But it, it's a you, long Wikipedia page. <laughs> when, you, when you read them on an ongoing basis, it's just like one adventure after another. It's amazing. Yeah. But if you find out that these things happened to you kind of it would be overwhelming and it's just interesting to see that perspective on these events that have already happened see
2: that's why i liked it the most is i liked that like when cyclops was brought from the past to the future and he's like oh i'm now bad like he has to deal with that in his head and same with jean gray like they didn't know they were together in the future and they had been together her and cyclops and then she they come to the future and they're both like oh wait we have this romance that we spans over so many years and this is how it ends up. Yeah. And then they have to deal with, like, that, knowing that. Knowing that they end up together. And I thought that was so crazy. Like, it's just and, such a cool story.
1: But also, think, like, we end up together, but nothing Not, good came yeah. of it. I One of them's dead. The other one cheated on her before she died. And uh, they split up. And so they're like, maybe we shouldn't be yeah. together. Yeah.
2: It's just, and It's just a really interesting take on it. Because, like, as, again, as somebody who hadn't read any of that middle stuff, I was like, I was intrigued by the fact that, like, I also kind of didn't know what had happened to them in the past. Like, you know, what I mean, during that time.
0: Uh, so you, so through the X Men from the past, they become the eyes of the new audience. Like who can, for me, yeah. Yeah, like, so it, it's sort of the equivalent of like, the way like DC always clears their board yeah. once every couple of years yeah. and restarts This way, they don't have to wipe out the whole story, but you get that fresh perspective. That and I see that that yeah. makes that makes sense to me now.
1: It's kind of it's like how the Ultimate Universe was uh, a great jumping on point for new readers and to uh, modernize the stories. It's like that, except doing it within the regular yeah. continuity. Speaking of the Ultimate Universe. Ultimate Spider-Man. That's where the Bendis and the Marvel Universe got its start. So the Ultimate Universe was in a, uh, created by uh, Joe Quesada and Bill Jemis, I believe. They, they had this idea that they were going to ask sort of a what-if question. What if those characters were created today? How would their stories be different? Mm-hmm. And they brought Ma- Brian Michael Bendis on to do Ultimate Spider-Man. Basically from October 2000 to the present day. He's been doing that book in one form or another, since he started working at Marvel,
2: and now him and his partner, like the um, the artist, they're the longest running, I believe, in in Marvel of a duo. Just keep going on one specific storyline. Yeah,
1: think. I think arguably in all of comics, it's they were they did 111, 111 issues together.
2: Yeah,
1: where uh, consecutively. Yeah, and it's a, a great pairing. They they worked well together, and they made Peter Parker modern and interesting. They made Aunt May a great modern character who wasn't just a frightened old lady who was always getting sick and needed medicine. She was an independent woman who was raising a a high school boy as a single mother, basically. She was great. A great character. Uh, Uncle Ben lasted more than two pages (laughs) and was able to have a more interesting impact on Peter's life before he died. So the idea at first was to to take all the best Spider-Man stories and just put a modern twist on them. And that's what they did for years. There was a, a great, I think it's like issue 13, where it's just uh, Spider-Man and or Peter Parker and Mary Jane in his room. And he's like coming out to her as Spider-Man, revealing his identity. And there's no fighting in the issue. There's no no real theatrics. But it was a great 22 pages of a conversation that takes place largely in one room, and it's one of my favorite issues. It's just a great story, and, and to be able to... Comic books, especially superhero comic books, are so action-based. There's an obligatory fight in every issue, otherwise it's not worth reading. Here was a superhero comic issue that was just talking, and he made it f- fantastic. Now, that being
0: said... I seem to recall a life-size poster in your bedroom of Mary Jane <laughs> in a bikini standing under a waterfall. <laughs> it was not life-size. So, that
1: was a small poster. But this it, is a different Mary Jane. That's the the supermodel Mary Jane of the, the main... All right, so that didn't modern. affect yeah. your... That didn't nice. affect at all. It's all right. <laughs> really but uh, eventually they ran out of those sort of stories. They started to do new stories and... That Ultimate Peter Parker was killed, and a brand new character was right. introduced, Miles Morales. Yeah. He was brand new for the Ultimate Universe. He's a, a half African-American, half a, a Hispanic teen who's a genius. He gets his powers in a different way from Peter Parker. His powers are a little different, but he's it brings a fresh perspective to a character and gives a, a new... A brand new character for the Marvel Universe, who in a very DC esque fashion wears a costume that we're familiar with, but has a new perspective that we don't hear very much in in superhero comics.
2: I haven't read *The Ultimate Spider-Man*, but I've heard mm. only amazing things about it. It's on my list of like I've got yeah. to get this, but it's a large yeah, it's a large story.
0: <laughs> it's one hundred and. 30 no more it's, now because it's still there's it's still, still technically kind of... stuff happening right Yeah it, the the it, Bendis it, run mean, is
1: the Bendis run gets complicated cuz there was a they they did Ultimate Spider-Man and that ended and then they started Ultimate Comic Spider-Man which is still Peter Parker but it started a new number 1 uh, and then okay. they did all, Ultimate Spider-Man again and they tried to get back to the old numbering, it gets very convoluted and confusing. So don't worry about it. There's a lot of issues. <laughs> but every a time, lot of issues.
2: Every time I've gone into a comic book store and I'm like, I want to read some Marvel. Like, what do you recommend? That is one of the top comics that I've had recommended to me.
1: Yeah. And Miles Morales is another one of those characters. Was yeah. a brand new character who is... Everywhere now. Everyone wants more Miles Morales. People were legitimately disappointed when he wasn't the character in the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah, Although that.
0: there are elements you know, that they've adapted to fit Peter Parker in yeah. that movie. But there, there are some influence of Miles Morales in there.
1: Definitely. There's an animated Miles Morales movie in the works. Uh, you see him in the new PS4 uh, Spider-Man game in the right. trailers. Yeah. So I can't think of another creator who's made more new characters in the Marvel Universe That have stuck. And
0: uh, I guess he'll be missed.
1: He's not dead. (laughs) (laughs) It
2: sounds sounds so tragic. I know, I know.
0: I'm exaggerating for comic effect, but it's hard (laughs) to put aside that much Marvel goodness. We'll see. I'm sure he'll come up with something amazing for DC. In the meantime, Kylie, thanks for coming back. Thanks for, uh, for having your me. your input on some of this stuff. And Graham, I'm glad you got the opportunity to get that off your chest. I know you've been wanting to do this list.
2: <laughs> I literally don't think we even needed to talk. He could have just gone <laughs> on his own the whole time.
0: Sorry, guys. No,
2: no, it's great. It's great.
0: We'll, we'll record a special like, extended edition <laughs> release later on the DVD. We'll just leave you in a room with a microphone. what yeah. so
1: happens. <laughs>
0: In any case, I also want to extend our thanks to you, the listener. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief. You can find him at Jamie Reum Official on YouTube. That's R-E-A-U-M-E. And be sure to check out his podcast, Originals and Covers and Beyond. And special thanks to Stella Semyonova, our webmaster, who's keeping our site running and making sure we can get all of this to you. Uh, we'd love to hear what you got. Um, sure, like Graham said, there's some stuff on that list that's ordered a little funny because of his personal biases. <laughs> um, if you've got some comments about Bendis or about what you think he might be doing, there's uh, all kind of ways that you can let us know. And we can translate that to uh, back to our listeners. How can they get a hold of us? can
1: email us at GeekTop5 at gmail.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash GeekTop5. We're on Twitter at GeekTop5. And you can also leave a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Would be nice.
0: GeekTop5, like many comic book heroes, has had our headquarters tragically destroyed. Unlike comic book heroes, we haven't been able to rebuild it immediately yet. Uh, If you're in the greater Toronto area and you know where we might be able to find some studio space, we would be happy to reward you for any information or tips. Uh, But things don't sound so bad in here, so we're going to keep on going anyway. So you can stay tuned for the next episode of Geek Top 5 in just a couple of weeks. We'll talk to you then.